You're listening to Asbury University's Chapel Podcast, recorded live from our campus in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury's Chapel Service hosts speakers from around the world to inspire academic excellence and spiritual vitality. We hope you enjoy today's message. Before I get rolling here, I just want to say I have got two sons that are here with me, Jude and Elijah, and my oldest has been playing basketball with some of you. I don't know what the chances are, but if you played basketball with my son during this, this week, would you mind just standing up wherever you're at? Is there anyone in this chapel who is part of that group? All right, there we are. Stay standing for just a moment. Anyone else? All right. Hey, I just want to say my kids, they live in a tough neighborhood. And uh, my son came back from playing basketball with you guys. And he said, Dad, that was the best game of basketball I've ever played. It was five on five. We were playing hard. We, we uh, were enjoying the game. We were enjoying e- each other. No one asked me to uh, play for money. No one asked me. I didn't feel like I had to defend myself the whole time. People weren't trash talking. Thank you so much for showing the love and the character of Christ to my son. You have my gratitude. Thank you. Thank you. Pass it on to your friends. I want to address the whole student body and just say something that might feel really obvious to you. You have come of age in a year that might feel a little apocalyptic, right? I mean, it's weird. It's different. Life has been interrupted here and around the world. It might feel a little apocalyptic. In this year, we have experienced a worldwide pandemic in which people aren't able to do life the way that they're used to doing life. They're not able to connect with each other in the way that we're used to connecting with each other. There's been a huge interruption in in the world. In in my community, uh, this other thing has has loomed even in larger, the, uh, the awareness, the heightened awareness of police brutality and racism has rocked our, our community. It has been uh, even larger than the, the pandemic. It has caused more pain and um, has been more deeply felt than the, the sickness that's grabbed hold of, of the world. Now, beyond those two things, there have been, there's been an economic shutdown. Uh, it seems like every week there's something new. So there was a legit locust plague in Ethiopia. The, the newscaster said, of biblical proportions, There was a a massive dust storm out of Africa. A hurricane has hit our southern coast. 2020 may feel a little apocalyptic. And so what we have to grapple with then is how are we going to be church in moments like these? And I want to let you know that the gospel of Jesus, the, the, the New Testament records a church that is built specifically for times that are perhaps easier, but especially for times like this. I want to talk to you about how important it is for disciples of Jesus who are filled with the Holy Spirit to band together with other believers in the church and be deployed in those churches and through those churches for the sake of the the world. We've not just been saved for ourselves. God pours out His grace into our life with such abundance that he equips us to serve others in community. We've been reading through this this vision from Ezekiel 
to a people who've been going through a time that must feel to them apocalyptic. Another empire has come in and has taken them into exile. It's a very dark time in their history. And the Lord gives Ezekiel this vision of what he wants to do with, with his people. We just, we just were able to hear that again in the video. And I just want to read this, this one verse out of that. I want, you, I want to read how that vision ends. Verse 10 of Ezekiel 37 says this, So I prophesied as the Lord commanded me, as he commanded me, and a breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. What I want to talk to you about today is that vast army because you were not saved. You were not filled with the Holy Spirit just so that you could come alive. You were set alive so that you could band together in community in order to make a difference in this world. You are saved not just for yourself, but you are part of a vast army that God has placed on this earth. There is, I want to make a, a, a switch here from from Ezekiel to Revelation. It's a switch, it's a leap of hundreds of, of years. But Revelation itself actually quotes or gives direct uh, connects to Ezekiel 31 times. And so it's not a huge idea shift, but it is a shift in time. And I want to talk about this Revelation passage because the Revelation is set in the New Testament. It's set in this age of the, the Spirit in which the Holy Spirit has come on His people. We, we've already experienced the fulfillment of what Ezekiel is talking about, the breath entering the, the, the people, that God's Spirit being placed on His people so that they can be empowered for, for ministry. And so I want to switch to, to this Revelation passage. And in Revelation 6, there is re recorded this... Um, this explanation of what life is like between Jesus' first and second coming. And, uh, and as John the Revelator is communicating this to, to the people, he's saying, look, it's, it's not going to be easy between the, the first and second coming of, of Jesus. He describes some of the things that are, that are going to happen. War and violence, both violence that is sanctioned by the government and violence that is not sanctioned by the government. He says there will be conquest and colonialism. He says there will be famine and sickness and natural disaster. He describes a world that is apocalyptic. And at the end of this description, he describes a, a time in which everything seems to unravel. The world is unraveling at the seams, and there's this expectation that, that God is going to come and judge. And in the description, it says that, that rich and poor and that people in power and people who are slaves, all of them are going to try to hide from that moment. And it, in the end of chapter 6 of, of Revelation, there's this question that's posed. In the middle of all of this, in the middle of such apocalyptic events, who can withstand it? What group of people can withstand years like 2020 or worse? And then there's a break in the text. And chapter 7 describes these people who are able to stand up in the middle of times like these and withstand it because they've been empowered by the Holy Spirit. Revelation chapter 7 describes the church of Jesus Christ. Revelation 7, 9 describes it this way. Uh, John has heard before this 
in military census. He, he's heard a, a vast army is being, being built, but then he sees something that's even clearer than what he hears. Revelation 7, 9 says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The first thing I want to point out about this vast army is that it is different than the other armies that we see at work in this world. It operates differently. It, it acts differently. It has a different kind of, of leader. It has a different means of accomplishing its purposes. The first point that I want to make is that we belong to a multinational church. People, disciples who've been saved by, by Jesus and been empowered by the Holy Spirit, we belong to a multinational church, which me means we define our people differently than the world defines their people. And so there are people who are intensely American or intensely Mexican or, or they are um, around the world. There are these loyalties that are formed around nationalities. Well, we are part of a people that is multinational. And so we care for people who are around the, the world, regardless of what nationality they are. This is uh, an idea that is uh, newer, and so it's not found as easily in the, in the Scripture, but um, race has been something that has separated our society from its inception. And this Scripture would point us to, to an understanding that uh, white and black and brown people are all being called by the Holy Spirit into a relationship with God and are together part of this vast army called the church. We are part of a multinational church, which gives us a different perspective on world events. More Christians are martyred today around the, the world than they were during the reigns of Domitian or Nero in the early church. That matters to us because they are our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering for the sake of the gospel and being faithful to the very end. When Christian immigrant families are separated as they seek asylum on our borders, that is not just for us a human injustice, although it is. They are our family. And so the church prays and cares and tries to act on their behalf. We're a multinational church. And when there is racial injustice against black and brown people, the whole church should mobilize because we will not abandon our brothers and sisters. I am so thankful that tomorrow there is an opportunity to, to lament and to pray. I hope that you, make, I hope that you uh, make it a point to be part of that. It's part of your work is the church of Jesus. We belong to a multinational church. Another thing that is different about this vast army than the other armies of the world is we follow a lamb leader. The, the, the person described in this, in this passage of Scripture is a, is a lamb. Earlier in the book of, of Revelation, the, their 
all of heaven is waiting? Who is the person who's going to unfold the rest of history? Who's going to bring God's plan to, to, its, to its fullness? And you're expecting some great lion to show up, some, some great and powerful uh, leader to show up. And a powerful leader does show up, but by means that is entirely different than what the people are expecting. Walking up to the throne of God is one who looks like a lamb who has been slain. Jesus, our Lord, who is crucified for our sins, taking our sin properly to death, and then breaking death itself in his resurrection, stands forward and says, I will bring to fullness God's plan from creation. We follow a lamb leader, one who is crucified, who loved us so much that he gave himself for us, who didn't conquer us in the, in the way that the armies of this world would conquer, didn't force us into a relationship with, with God, didn't force us into righteousness or, or peace, but instead laid down his life for us and then was vindicated in the resurrection from the dead, breaking death for himself and for all who would follow him. We follow a lamb leader, which means that we do things very differently than the way that people do things in this world. I feel like I'm constantly reminding my, my church at home, hey, look, whenever you go to work, whenever you, whenever you interact on social media, whenever you're trying to advance whatever cause you're trying to advance, you are doing so as a Christian, as a follower of the, the Lamb. You're done, you, you don't have the opportunity to do it in the way that everyone else does it. You're following it as someone who is, is following the, the Lamb who is slain and is risen. You're doing it as someone who is who is deployed in a very different kind of way. We follow a lamb leader. Revelation 12.1 says that they overcame him, the evil one, by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. You are equipped, you're, but you're not equipped with guns and violence. You're not banded together in order to uh, use physical force to make your uh, make headway in your cause, you're banded together by the with the power of the blood of the Lamb and by the word of your testimony, God's own work that is done in your life, not only for yourself but for the sake of others. We follow a Lamb leader, which means we do things very differently than the way that this world does things. And then point number three, we will overcome. This vast army, even though it doesn't look like it, even though there are people who are dying in the, in the struggle, in their faithfulness to, to Christ, we will overcome. It may not look like it, but the church will withstand 2020. It may not look like it, but if worse comes, the church will will withstand it. The scriptures promise it, and the Holy Spirit whispers it inside of us. And the, the Spirit is helping us to be faithful to the very end. We will overcome. The, this, this passage of scripture ends by saying, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That's what the church is saying in this moment. Salvation belongs to our God 
Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is not a battle cry. That is a victory cry. In the middle of the battle, the church is standing up, not with weapons in their hands, but with implements of worship in their hands, saying, salvation belongs to our God. It's already a done deal. And we're just trying to be faithful to the end because we know that we will overcome. The story of the church, I'm afraid, is not being told well in 2020. You're not going to be able to flip on the, the news and see the story of, of the church very well. Not because the church is not being active. The church is being active. Not because we're not filled with the Holy Spirit. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not because we're not actually advancing the cause of the gospel. We are advancing the cause of the gospel. But it's not being told on the news because we don't, flip, pit, we don't fit the political narrative of what's happening in our, our nation right now. And so I want to just give a practical example from 2020 of, of the way that the church is responding to this year that feels apocalyptic. Following the, the death of, of George Floyd, um, my church was rocked. America was, was rocked. Certainly people of color who struggled with this their whole lives and they their parents and their grandparents and their great-grandparents and their great-great-grandparents have struggled with systemic racism their whole lives. The whole nation wanted to respond to the murder of, of George Floyd. My family and I were on vacation, and when, when we heard the news, we didn't even have internet access at the, at the time, but I got enough internet access to see the news. And uh, my wife... Uh, we were actually in different beds because of the configuration of this little cabin that we were in. And uh, she could see from the light on my phone just my face fall. And she said, Adam, are you all right? And I said, no, I'm not all right. And I told her what, what had happened. And um, we cut our vacation short and we went home to help our church respond to, uh, to this moment. And so we went home. And our church, like so many other entities in, in our city, uh, needed to respond, needed to um, speak out against this injustice. And we had just enough time to be able to kind of check in with each other and, and, and remind each other, hey, we are responding as Christians. There's going to be lots of people who are responding to this moment, but we are responding as people who are following this lamb. We're responding as part of a multinational, multiracial body of people, family of believers. We're responding as people who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And so our response needs to be both powerful and true to the way of our leader. In Grand Rapids, um, the, the night of protest unfolded like it did in, in many cities around the, the United States. There were different groups of people that, that were there, and they're each acting according to the character of their group. We had, as part of, part of that response to the tragedy, people who were... Um, who were part of the police force, 
who had come out to uh, just try to keep order during the time. They're also the object of, uh, of the protest, and so there was uh, a heightened sense to, to what they were doing that, that evening. But then in Grand Rapids, we had all sorts of people show up. There was a peaceful protest that was planned for a particular time, and there was a, a plan for how that was, was going to unfold, but different groups started, started showing up, and so we had the Michigan militia show up. They are not part of, they're not a government-sanctioned group. They're just a bunch of people with guns who organized and called themselves a, a, a militia. They showed up as this very intimidating force in our, in our city, acting according to their character, that violence is somehow going to make violence right. We had as one of the groups showing up in response to that moment were a bunch of anarchists who said, um, whose message has always been uh, that just burn it down. Like everything needs to, to, to go. Dismantle, dismantle everything. So there's a group of anarchists sharing their good news in that moment. The gospel according to their group. Also in that group were a bunch of people who had heard uh, th about the, the protest that was supposed to be peaceful and they just, they wanted to speak out against injustice, but they wanted to do it as good citizens of, of Grand Rapids. And so they're responding as good citizens of Grand Rapids in, in that moment with, with good in, intentions. And in Grand Rapids, and I'm not saying this is a political talking point at all, uh, the, the police in Grand Rapids understand that this is very clearly what, what happened. In Grand Rapids, at least, there were paid provocateurs who were there just to, to cause violence. And so there's, um, there's footage that the police have in, in Grand Rapids of, of people who are exchanging money for uh, pe people would show up in a van and they would hand, you know, people that are about your age uh, a baseball bat and some money and say, go break some stuff. And so uh, there was a, uh, that night did end up being violent in our town, just like it was violent in a lot of other places. There were a lot of different groups, each responding in the way of their, their community. But there was also the church. The church showed up that night. My church showed up that night. Other, other believers in Grand Rapids showed up tonight. And the church is different than those other communities because we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And we do things in the way of our, our, our leader. And so I was asked as a pastor, would you pray... Would you pray just to start off this, this protest? Yes, I'll do that. And I was asked for this other role that I've also played in other protests in our, in our city. They said, would you act as a safety team member? And I said, yes. Could you invite some of your church members to act as a safety team member? I said, yes. And a safety team member is simply this. It's someone who stands between the police and protesters just to create a safe barrier b b between them. Or it's someone who stands between protesters and white supremacists just to create a safe barrier. So our job was literally just to put our bodies between people who are frustrated at each other. So I said, yes, I'll do both of those things. I'll pray and I'll act. I'll, my church will put our bodies between the protesters and the, whoever would want to harm them. And so um, we went there and it was chaos by the time we showed up. So I didn't get a chance to, to, to pray, not at the beginning, not in front of people like I was, was expecting to. But during the, during the, the protest, 
I was standing um, at ground zero there, right in front of the, uh, the, the police station entrance um, with a college kid from my church and a middle-aged mom. And off camera, uh, there's an African-American woman who's helped found City Life uh, standing there as a, as a barrier b- between the people. And the, the night started out as a very peaceful protest, and it ended up as a, as a riot. And so as the night went on, violence and more violence started to, started to happen. And there was a, um, and as that, that happened, uh, the peaceful protesters, most of them went home. A bunch of them were left just wondering, what, what has, what's happening? I, I don't understand what's, what's happening. And, um, and then people started breaking stuff, and the police started to respond in kind with, uh, with violence. And so uh, I was in touch with other safety team members who were saying, hey, you know, they're, they're pulling out tear gas, and people are breaking things. Uh, this, this whole thing is un- unraveling. Um, and I'm writing them saying, what do I do? And they're writing back, I don't know. I'm getting texts from my parents saying, hey, we're seeing you on the news. Get out of there. It's time to leave, bud. My sisters are saying, Adam, we're proud of you. Please leave. And uh, I'm standing there. And as I'm standing there, there is increasing violence happening behind me. And in front of me, the police are organizing to come out. They've switched into riot gear. They've put face masks on. And they're about to to come through the the doors. And there's about to be a bloody conflict like there was in other parts of of the city right in that moment. And in that moment, thank the Lord, I, I remembered what I told my people. I'm here as a Christian. I'm here as part of the church of Jesus. I'm in, I have a divine and human partnership. God and his church are, are here, and so I need to act as a Christian. And so as the, as the forces of violence started to mount against each other, I turned around to, to the crowd and I said, Hey, we are about to experience something that none of us want to experience. I was asked by the organizers to come here and pray. And so I'm going to pray. And people were cursing me out and stuff. And I I said, hey, I was asked to pray. I'm a pastor. I'm going to pray. And I prayed a loud and unintelligible prayer. I still don't even know the words that I I said. And and in that moment, there was a a young woman who, who came forward. And she said, just simply and quietly, I would like to be prayed for. And she and I prayed, and I looked up, and the crowd had dispersed. I can't explain that moment except for saying God was helping his church be the church, and the power of God was at work to dispel violence that night. As we... This week we have talked about being set fully alive by the Holy Spirit. Can these dry bones live? And hopefully we've experienced more life as we've opened ourselves up to the life of the Spirit. But I just want to remind you today that we are saved not just for ourselves, but we're saved for a world. And we're saved for moments like 2020. And it's part of God's plan that we be deployed in and through the church. And so, in this final message, I just want to say again that um, 
that you are, you are saved for, for a purpose, that you've been saved not only because God loves you, but also because God loves all the other people in the church that he wants to influence through you, and God loves this world, and the church is an incredibly important part of this moment even now.